Hello, everybody. Welcome to News for the Soul. This is Daniel Brinkley. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. From the heart of Vancouver, what a great place to bring news for the soul. I know, isn't it perfect? Remember that movie Dead Zone, Christopher Walken? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like that for real. I think reasonably accurate, too, honey. Oh, that's an understatement, honey. (laughs) Okay, everybody, take a deep breath. We We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments, let's open up our hearts and open up our souls. And let the true awareness of news for the soul make its impact now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to News for the Soul. This is Daniel Brinkley. Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Okay, everybody, take a deep breath. We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments, let's open up our heart and open up our souls, and let the true awareness of News for the Soul make its impact now and forever. This is Nicole Whitney, and you're now listening to News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio, from the uplifting to the unexplained, and today, something new on the show. We have not, I don't think I've ever even talked about or even thought about talking about what we're going to talk about today, but it just seems fitting somehow that we bring this into the picture of the big conversation. Today, the guest is Thomas Steenberg. He's an author and well-known Sasquatch researcher. He's local. He's here. He's with us for the hour. Welcome to News for the Soul, Thomas. Hello. 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 So this is, you know, i got to tell you, this is a a new one for me. Um, I have not done a lot of research uh, as a journalist. You know, I I don't think um, generally in the mainstream the media takes the subject terribly seriously unless someone had captured or killed one and hauled it up to the press conference office. I don't think anyone really takes it very seriously, you know, but you've been at this for a long time, and uh, wow, how long have you been at this? 25 years. 25 years. How did you first get an interest in this? I've been fascinated by this um, particular uh, mystery since I was old enough to read. I still remember my mother telling my father, don't worry, one day he'll grow out of it. (laughs) <laughs> but it never seemed to happen. <laughs> mm. So when I started acti- actively uh, researching and looking into reports of uh, sightings of this animal around 1979, that was what 25 years ago. Wow. So what was the what was the intrigue? What drew you in? Well, I love the outdoors and I love mysteries, so the two just go together hand in hand. And just to keep going, you know, quarter of a century, roughly. What keeps you going? 
Well, I think the main thing that keeps me going is the fascinating people that I meet who report seeing this thing, and and they they want to keep confidentiality. They're not interested in publicity, and some of them would probably suffer if word ever got out that they did see a Sasquatch. And in the most and the most intriguing thing about about their stories is what they describe. And the fact is, quite often they don't come right out and say they saw a Sasquatch. They saw something unusual. They didn't know what it was. So they tell me about it, and they let me draw my conclusions based on the description of the animal they saw. So these people and seem very compelling and legitimate and sane and all of that. Well, put this way, if there's no Sasquatch, there's a lot of crazy people. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, why don't we start at the beginning of, of where you started the research. Like, what did you find out? Well, in 25 years, I've looked into, I, 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 I don't know the exact number, well over 300 sighting reports now. And the most fascinating thing, of course, is when you find physical evidence that something has gone by. Uh, and, of course, the Sasquatch is usually a case of footprints that the animal left. And we've had interesting, uh, some interesting DNA results from hair samples and stuff over the last few years now, too. So these and are recent developments. technology with uh, computers and, and things we can, and, and, and various modern equipment like that, we can look at things like old photographs and pictures and clean them up a bit. And we're getting quite interesting results. Well, what is the most kind of compelling evidence, would you say, that, that has been collected then? Well, the, uh, the most compelling piece of evidence has to be the Patterson-Gimlin film that was shot October 20th, 1967, in the Black Creek region of Northern California. If you've ever seen a documentary on the Sasquatch on television, or Bigfoot as it's known in the United States, you've seen this film. That's the famous film where all of a sudden uh, what appears to be a, a Sasquatch is sort of walking through the bush, right? Well, I was actually on a creek bed on the on the on the forest edge, and uh, they heard it before they, before they saw it, because the horses they were riding reared, and Roger was uh, uh, imbel enough that he was able to grab his 16-millimeter movie camera, and he managed to shoot a few seconds of film of it before he ran out of film as the thing walked away. And the sighting, the, the Patterson sighting was so typical of so many uh, people wandering around, minding their own business. They hear it before they see it, and they, t and they see it just long enough before it disappears. So it's almost as though the animals was watching them. And then when you got too close, it bolted. Is that the only time um, <coughs> video evidence of that nature has been collected? Oh, no, no. There, there, there's been other um, videos and, and things shot of objects, moving objects, like far away, or they're too blurry, or they're taken at night. But the passion film is probably the best one. It's very far. clear. That's right. Yeah. It really is. Correct. How have they um, done kind of studies or investigations to um, verify the video film or the film? Well, the Patterson films been looked at uh, by numerous individuals. Uh, the latest would be a fellow by the name of Doug Hijack of White Wolf Productions, who made a discovery, that, and I don't know how he missed this over the last 30 years, that the animal in the Patterson film apparently had an upper right leg injury a kind of a hernia injury that we never noticed before as it walks. You can hmm. see muscle and sinew bulging in the upper right thigh of the creature. And I don't know how we missed that all these years, but he had the equipment to look at it closely, frame by frame, and he noticed it. So that's the most exciting thing that's happened since about the Patterson film in the last 
not just a recent discovery within the last three years. Recently, huh? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Have um, have independent studies been done on it, or in anything, you know, to sort of give it more credibility in the mainstream? Well, world? if you're asking if the National Geographic Society or the Smithsonian Institution has ever done anything to try to confirm the Sasquatch exists, the answer to that is no. So why is that? Well, I think the biggest reason is uh, there's a, an element, especially in the United States, which we refer to politely as the lunatic fringe, mm-hmm. which are people who believe in Bigfoot, but they associate them with um, UFOs, other dimensions, uh, Alice Presley sightings, uh, you name it. <laughs> and, the, and and people like this get quite a bit of attention from the popular media, and the scientific community looks at that and says, I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Well, yeah, that's that's where I was coming from for the <coughs> excuse me with the media issue as well, as, and that's probably why because of that factor. And uh, I'm not quite sure how those things could possibly have ever gone together, but um, it's interesting how we try to. Oh, it, it's not it's not just the Sasquatch. They tend to associate everything with it. Hmm. You know, and the media all but all the media says, well, no, 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 no. I mean, because it's it's a it's a a label of uh, end of career to any legitimate uh, anthropologist or zoologist that might have an interest in looking into this. There are a few brave souls, like the, doctor, the late Dr. Grover Krantz, Dr. John Napier, and uh, a few men who are still going today, like Dr. Jeff Meldrum, Dr. John Bindernagel, who are seriously looking into the Sasquatch question. But as for a, a well-equipped organization like the National Geographic or the Smithsonian, no, not at this, not as of yet. Well, what is it that you're doing as a, you're, you're officially, I mean, you've written several books on the subject and, and you are officially a Sasquatch squatch researcher. What is it that you do? Well, for me, mostly, I, I, I spend a lot of my time out in the woods looking for evidence of the animal, uh, uh, basically looking for a Sasquatch <laughs> and hoping to find evidence of the animal. And, of course, when people report a sighting, I go and investigate the sighting. Hopefully I hear about it soon after it happened and maybe I'll find some evidence of the animals passing it after where the people said they saw it. Um, the, two, um, the latest one I looked into was uh, just this past September. So how do people find you? I don't know how they find me. They either <laughs> find my name on the Internet or they find a book or, or by word of mouth. Who knows? When I started, I used to advertise, but that was a long time ago. Uh, basically, people, uh, you know, you get on the Internet, and they they start asking around for who, who who's local, who can look into this, uh, and someone passes my name along, and they usually give me a call and tell me about it. Now, I understand that we're here in B.C., Canada, uh, northwest Pacific region here. This is kind of a hot spot for mm-hmm. Sasquatch? sightings. Mm-hmm. Like how many per year on average sightings or reports are there? Well, it, reports I'd say about 10. If uh, On uh, sightings that don't get reported, I would say it would be more like 40. Hmm. And there, me, when you say that don't get reported, um, there's an official place to report them? No, there's no official place, especially in Canada, to report uh, um, a Sasquatch sighting. I mean... The RCMP will politely take an instant report in most cases. Uh, Fish and Wildlife will say, yeah, okay, sure, and then mm-hmm. they will just uh, dismiss it out of hand. Hmm. 
Interesting. Mm-hmm. So they come to you, and then what? you go out and do what? Well, if they, uh, I like to interview the witnesses. I have a standard questionnaire I've been using for years, and I like to interview the witness. And I let them tell me their story and what they saw, and I let them answer the questions their own way, and I don't try to lead them or clean it up at all. If they say something that doesn't fit, well, then uh, then it just doesn't fit, and I'll conclude the one. They either saw something or it was a case of misidentification of a common animal or object, or they're making it up, and that has happened. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, if we get to go to the area where it was seen, hopefully there's some footprints behind what percentage of the reports or the people that are coming to you, what percentage of them are, in your belief, legitimate? Well, the ones that report to me, uh, I would say at least half of them believe that they actually saw something. And if the Sasquatch does indeed exist, and I believe that is the case, and I'm inclined to believe half of them saw what they claimed to have seen. We're going to take a really quick break. But when we come back, can you tell us uh, what they are seeing. If you've just joined us, this is News for the Soul, and our guest this full hour is Thomas Steenberg, author and official um, local well-known Sasquatch researcher. We're going to find out more about what's happening when we come back. Don't go away. <laughs> Welcome to News for the Soul. This is Daniel Brinkley. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. Okay, everybody, take a deep breath. We know that we choose to come to this world, and we're chosen to come to this world, and we've come for breath. We breathe in for ourselves and out for spiritual involvement. And as we breathe these moments, let's open up our heart and open up our souls, and let the true awareness of News for the Soul make its impact now and forever. From the heart of Vancouver, what a great place to bring news for the soul. I know, isn't it perfect? Remember that movie Dead Zone, Christopher Walken? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was like that for real. I think reasonably accurate, too, honey. Oh, that's an understatement, honey. (laughs) (laughs) The Great Experiment. Welcome to News for the Soul, James Twyman. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you tonight. Why are you here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden. Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight. Welcome to the show, Stuart Wilde. Thank you very much. John Kehoe, welcome to News for the Soul. Hey, how are you? Next up, Dr. David Morehouse. I'm so glad that you called me because you are doing such an important task, important work, because you are spreading a very positive message. And my, my message to everyone who is listening is be positive, be optimistic, but most important, believe in yourself. And then good things will start coming your way. Okay. Thank you so Okay, much. I love you all. So that was Uri Geller who spoke to him in his home near London, England. 
I was really moved by last week's show because we made a commitment to a worldwide event to try to change consciousness. Call today at 913-2233-913-2233. Visit newsforthesoul.com anytime to hear all of our shows, read positive news, and interact with like-minded people from around the world. Now let's get back to the show. And we're back. This is Nicole, News for the Soul, Life Changing Talk Radio from the Uplifting to the Unexplained. And we are here for the full hour with author, speaker, and uh, official Sasquatch researcher Thomas Steenberg. So uh, just before the break, we were talking about... um, all these reports that people come to you and they find out what you do and there's really not too many other options of where they can go to report these things if they have, think they've had a sighting of what may be a Sasquatch. What are they, uh, what are they reporting to you? Well, the most common description is uh, a, a creature that walks upright like you and I do. They're bipedal. Uh, they're, uh, they're very large physically, uh, seven and a half to eight feet tall is the most common height. Extremely massive, with massive arms, completely covered in hair, with a face and head somewhat like that of a gorilla. And of course, when people see this thing, they're rather shook up by it. They tell one or two of their friends about it. They're told they're crazy, so they decide to shut up about it. Hmm. And so, they're, what are you finding when you're going out to investigate? Well, usually, when, uh, if it's a good uh, indication, the biggest problem I usually have is I find out about these things way too long after it has passed. Is that I'm hoping to find uh, physical evidence that the animal was there, uh, i.e., footprints, uh, tufts of hair on trees, things like that. And we have had some interesting results with DNA testing on hair samples and things like that. So, what kind of interesting results have you had? Well, uh, I like to use a man by the name of um, Dr. Gerald Lowenstein, University of San Francisco, who's uh, developed a immune reaction reading to protein levels in hair follicles. And he's d- developed this process to the point where he can tell the difference between a primate hair and, let's say, something from a moose, a, a deer, an elk, or a bear, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's now developed it to the point where he can tell the difference between the higher primates. And there's only supposed to be five higher primates, human beings, chimpanzees, orangutans, gorillas, and gibbons. And he's developed this process, as I said, that he could tell the difference. Now, th- there's been two samples sent to him, one from Colorado Rockies and one from Northern California, which he said had positive reactions to human DNA, but it also had pos- positive reactions chimpanzee DNA. So he says, we've either got a man running around here with very unusual problems, <laughs> or we have a chimpanzee loose with very unusual problems, or we've got something new that's rather similar to both. Hmm. But of course he can't come right out and say it's a Sasquatch here, because there's no Sasquatch to compare it to. So, but that is an, an intriguing result. Like, what is if it was just a person, it shouldn't be showing up as chimpanzee DNA. No, the, the only way I think you can get a, a 
if someone went and pulled out a bunch of uh, a hair out of someone's head, pitch black hair out of someone's head, and then went to a zoo and grabbed a bunch of hair from a chimpanzee and mixed a sample up and handed it to them, that's the mm. only way I could see it could have been fake. Interesting. But even then, each sample would be... Yes, he he usually takes a, a an examination of the sample to make sure all the hairs are from the same source before he looks into it. Huh. Because mm-hmm. each individual hair would not have two different positive results in DNA. No. Well, that is intriguing. Now, when is that? When was that uh, sample sent in? That that was in about 1995. So did that not get the attention of? Uh, you know, no, maybe? the only thing that will ever grab the scientific uh, community by the nose and uh, is when someone brings in a body, mm-hmm. body or piece of the body, something they can physically examine. Well, other than hair samples, um, what else have we got? Well, the footprints are, are are yielding some interesting results now because we have several experts on, on what we call, call dermal ridges. It's like the uh, fingerprints on the bottom of your feet. Mm-hmm. And again, only the higher primates should have dermal ridges on the bottom of their feet. Well, there's been several sets of Sasquatch footprints now found that have show good sets of dermal ridges. And, and basically, the ridges are too wide apart to be human, but they're, they're obviously biped, and they're obviously a hominid, so the, the, there's something here making this track. It's not a rigid wooden fake. And these are plaster... Uh, plaster castings of footprints. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what is the process to determine, you know, that it's legitimate? Well, there are several ways you can do that. Uh, me, I always look for things, uh, if it's an ideal track in soft mud, and that's probably the best conditions if you find a footprint in that, and you find the, uh, what are called compression lines that are tiny, minute cracks in the inner edges of the footprint from the surface of the ground going down into the, into the flanks of the footprint that you basically need a magnifying glass to find. That's an indication that whatever step there had a flexible foot, and that could not have been made by a rigid fake. Hmm. If you are going around with fake feet stomping around, you will get what is what is called an impact ridge, which is tiny, minute cracks on the outside of the footprint, and that's caused by vertical pressure slamming straight down. Many people don't know this, and so... They never, they never try to, you know, cover that up, and that's usually how you can tell if a footprint was, it was a flexible foot made from a flexible foot or a rigid fake. Hmm, interesting. And um, there's many other things too. Uh, toe movement, indications of toe movement. Obviously, if someone was stomping around with fake feet, every foot would be identical. Weight distribution changes. What we call